Hello everyone, this is the 10th episode of Bible Beyond, and today we're going to be learning what it means to be a living sacrifice. Our passage today comes from Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Most of you listening to this podcast are probably familiar with Jesus' sacrifice. And this is the idea that Jesus, by his sacrifice, made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. But it's a little more confusing to understand what a living sacrifice means. We know that Jesus sacrificed himself, but what do we need to sacrifice ourselves for? And not only that, but what does it mean to sacrifice and yet still be living? Well, today we're going to answer all of these questions and more on Bible Beyond. In order to understand what a living sacrifice is, I first want to go over the biblical story. And just briefly, I want us to understand what sacrifice means in the Bible. Now, the biblical story first starts in Genesis. And in Genesis, God creates everything. He creates the sea and the sky and the land and the moon and the stars. He creates everything on earth that we see today. And not only that, but he also creates humanity. He creates first a man named Adam and then a woman named Eve. And he puts these two people, these first two humans, in a garden. This garden is called the Garden of Eden. And here they're instructed to work the garden. They're instructed to take care of it. And in this garden, they're completely provided for. They have a perfect relationship with God, and there's nothing to trouble them. But as you can see today, humanity doesn't currently reside in a wonderful garden with a perfect relationship with God. Instead, when we look around us, we see poverty and sickness and war. And this is because Adam and Eve sinned. They decided that they wanted to secure their own salvation and not to trust in God. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, 
but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Now you may be wondering, what's the problem with eating fruit from a tree? And maybe more specifically, why is it that this tree is inedible? Why can they eat from other trees but not this tree? Well, you may have noticed that God calls this tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we find out later in the next chapter that the fruit which this tree produces, it gives humans the ability to discern good from evil. It gives them the ability to define good and evil for themselves to secure themselves and their salvation instead of trusting in God. And we learn the effects of eating of this fruit and possessing this ability. It says, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And that's exactly what happens. They eat of the fruit, they assign to take matters into their own hands, and by doing so, they sin. They make themselves imperfect and unfit, incapable of relationship with God. So because of that, they're cast out from the garden. And there becomes a separation between God and man. In fact, God even goes so far as to put a flaming sword in front of the entrance of the garden so that they can never come back. And with this, Adam and Eve, they're left to live the rest of their days with the result of this sin. Separated from the garden and from God with no way to atone for what they did. But luckily, God doesn't let this be the end of the story. God actually creates a way for the effects of their sin to be dealt with. He creates a solution where humanity is separated from its sin and brought back to God, and the name of this solution is Jesus. One of my favorite verses that I believe does a good job of explaining this solution is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. Now that first part where it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that's kind of a jumble of words, it feels like. It's a little hard to understand, so let's break it down. It says, for our sake he made him who is Jesus. It says that for our benefit, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin. What it's saying here is that God took Jesus, who was without sin, who had never rebelled, never retaliated against God, and placed him with the effect of our sin. He laid the sin down with Jesus as he was nailed to a cross, and because of that, because Jesus was separated from God, we are separated from our sin. And because of this, we're free to have a relationship with God once again. That's the message of the gospel. 
and that's how sacrifice works. Jesus took upon the sin and the punishment that we had so that we could avoid it. That's the sacrifice. And even in the Old Testament, the Israelites, who are God's people, they make sacrifices of animals which point towards Jesus, who is the ultimate sacrifice. These animals were a symbol for the fact that someday someone would come who could be a true atonement and who could truly reunite humanity and God. So again, that's how sacrifice works in the Bible. And that's what allows us to have salvation. But whether it's the animals in the Old Testament or Jesus in the New Testament, they both die. So how then are we expected to live and yet be sacrifices? It sounds kind of like an oxymoron. An oxymoron is the idea of putting two opposite things together. In this case, it seems to be taking living and sacrifice and putting them together. The sacrifice has been killed. It is dead, and yet we're also supposed to be living. So how can this be explained, and how does this work? How are we supposed to act as a living sacrifice? Well, we can find a clue in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, what's important to understand about this verse is that this verse compares us before Christ and us after Christ as two completely separate entities. It says that for those who are in Christ, he's a new creation. And again, it says that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In this verse, we see two different entities, two different versions of ourselves, which occurs because of the transition to Jesus. And this idea of an old self and a new self, a self who used to be sinful and used to be rebellious and reject God, compared to ourselves who are in Christ, who do have the Spirit which dwells in us, we need to understand that distinction in order to understand the meaning of a living sacrifice. Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. What this verse is saying is that we actually have to put to death the things that caused us to sin in the first place. And this is key to the term a living sacrifice. Because even though we've been raised with Christ in life, there is still this part of us that wants to sin, that wants to reject God, just like we did all those years ago. And because of that, we're commanded to put to death what is earthly in us. 
So in one sense, we are alive. We're alive with Christ, with God, because we are not separated from him. But in another, we're continually sacrificing those evil desires that caused the problem of sin in the first place. So that's what the Bible means when it says a living sacrifice. It says that you should present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And when we are willing to put to death what is earthly in us, when we are willing to be a living sacrifice, when we're willing to accept Christ and at the same time put to death that sin, it means that we're holy and acceptable to God. It means that we're justified by Jesus' sacrifice. And then later it says that this is our spiritual worship. And personally, I like how this passage compares a living sacrifice to worship. As you may know, what you worship is what you care most about. What we worship is what we value most. What we worship is what we want to serve. Before our life in Christ, that may have been money or sex or power, but after our redemption and justification in Jesus that worship becomes God. The object of our worship switches from those sinful desires to Jesus Christ. And that's what empowers us, that process of becoming like Jesus through his spirit, that's what empowers us to put to death what is earthly, which again, as it says, is our spiritual worship. Now, I do feel that For the majority of this podcast, at least so far, I've been giving a broad view of the gospel. But actually, in this next verse, we've been looking at what a living sacrifice is, but in this next verse, all of a sudden then we see that this topic of a living sacrifice becomes very specific. And I believe that we're actually told very specifically what we need to do and how we can enact this process of being a living sacrifice. I'm just going to reread Romans 12, verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The key word here is testing. And this verse explains that testing provides an opportunity for us to sacrifice. In the story of Job, there's a man named, well, Job, and he is blessed by God. He serves God, he loves God with all his heart, and God blesses him. But then one day, Satan comes to God and he says, you know, that guy Job over there, He only serves you and worships you. He only loves you because of the blessings that you've given him. And I guarantee you that if you made his life hard and difficult, he would turn from following you and he would go about his own way. So God says, okay, you can make his life difficult. You can take away everything that he has. And so Satan proceeds to do so. Satan takes away first his 
children in his possessions. Then he takes away his health, and eventually he's brought to such a low place that his wife actually says to curse God and die. But Job never curses God. Amidst all of this hardship and loss of his children and family members, of his livestock and possessions, of everything that God had given him, he doesn't reject God. Which is very impressive because most people, including a lot of Christians, when put in that exact same scenario, may not hesitate to reject God and go back to their sinful nature, to what they used to do before Christ, but not Job. Now, you may be wondering, how can we have that steadfastness, that faithfulness which Job possessed? Well, going back to our original passage, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what does it mean to be transformed by the renewal of our mind? And how do we renew our minds so that we can have the same steadfast faithfulness that Job had? Well, conveniently, we actually just recently did an episode uh, kind of touching on this topic. Matthew 11 verse 28 says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's something very renewing about coming to God and spending time in his presence. In fact, the psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, sounds awfully similar to Job's situation, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This kind of prayer and spending time with God, spending time in his presence, and looking at our current situation through the lens of God's grace, it brings renewal to us. I can't tell you how many times I've been stressed or uncertain or worried, but when I pray and I consult God's word, and I spend time with him in his presence, it's like a reset. It's like the spiritual version of turn it off and then turn it back on again. It gives you the refreshed perspective that you have when you recognize your situation in comparison to God's power and love. And that's the kind of renewal of our minds that allows us to pass testing. Job, later in the story, he refuses to curse God. He refuses to reject him. And eventually, for him, when it's over and the suffering and hardship, it ceases, God actually gives him a gift. Everything that Job previously had in possessions, God actually doubled. And that's amazing in and of itself, but I actually think that maybe the more important and significant result of Job's faithfulness is what he says in Job 42, verses 2 through 6. It says, I know that you can do all things, 
and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, the things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The gist of this conclusion is that Job is now closer to God. He understands more and understands more about God than he previously did. Again, it says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And this, I believe, is the greatest miracle that God did in Job's situation. James 1, verses 2 through 4, it actually says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We know that when we put to death what is earthly in us, when we rejoice and we cling to Jesus' life and our miraculous relationship with God, we know that we grow closer to God by taking up this mantle of a living sacrifice. We can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And with that, let's close in prayer. Dear God, thank you for your word today and the idea that you've put forward of being a living sacrifice. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to draw closer to you through testing and for the ability that you've given us to renew our minds so that we can stay steadfast. Please help us take advantage of being a living sacrifice. Help us take advantage of this opportunity to draw closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been the 10th episode of Bible Beyond. A huge thank you to my grandfather for creating the wonderful music that you're listening to right now. And thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more, check back with us the next time that we have an episode up and ready. Until then, have a great day.